Hey, hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Michael Sarnowski, a filmmaker whose first feature, Pig, stars Nicolas Cage as an Oregon recluse who sets out to rescue his beloved truffle pig from the people who've taken her. And whatever you're expecting from that premise, this isn't it. What Pig is, however, is one of the best movies I've seen this year. It's in theaters now in North America, except for Toronto, where it's opening this Friday, July 23rd, and it'll be on VOD services by the end of the summer. Michael picked Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, the 2002 comic book movie that launched a blockbuster franchise, supercharged the careers of Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, and James Franco, and gave Willem Dafoe a surprisingly textured role as the murderous Green Goblin. And though it plays a little broad now, Raimi's approach paved a new direction for superhero storytelling that's still in use today. My one regret with this episode is that Michael and I only had a tiny window of time to talk, so things are a little rushed and the episode is really short. But I think you'll like it just the same. This is someone else's movie. It's just for a lot of reasons, it was a very formative film for me. Um, I, I mean, the whole kind of narrative of it is is, is a little complicated. I, uh, My dad used to read Spider-Man comics to me when I was a little kid. Like when I was going to bed, instead of reading children's stories he would read comic books and show me the panels and Uh um and that was a you know I was a big Spider-Man fan growing up and my dad passed away when I was a kid um which is very much something that I kind of ended up exploring through Pig um and so already Spider-Man kind of had a very charged thing for me and I saw Spider-Man came out when I was in eighth grade which was the same year that obviously 9-11 happened and I remember um the Spider-Man trailer, the first oh, yeah, one that yeah. came out, which had the Twin Towers in it with the helicopter being caught like a fly in the web. Uh, that was one of the first times I was ever aware of like trailers in a conscious way. I, I wasn't really raised in a family that was into cinema. So mostly I would just watch stuff that my sister liked. So I was raised on like 10 Things I Hate About You and Never Been Kissed, which I love 10 Things I Hate About You. But, yeah. um, but that was the kind of stuff I watched, honestly, until about high school. And I think Spider-Man was kind of that transitional moment where I suddenly became aware that like there were other movies out there for me. Um, And so it had this very charged moment historically. And I remember I missed the premiere of it, like the opening night of it, because we were doing our eighth grade DC trip. That was like a big deal at the end of eighth grade. They would take everyone to DC. And that was a weird trip to do after 9-11 happened. Yeah. And uh, and Spider-Man came out the weekend I uh, of that trip. And I, I remember I got back on like a Sunday and I insisted that my mom take me to see Spider-Man. And it was the first time I ever saw a movie alone in a movie theater. And it was like a weird matinee. I just needed to see it the moment it came out or the first time I could. Um, so I remember seeing it alone in the middle of the day with like a fairly empty theater, but just getting to experience it. Um, after all this kind of weird setup with 9-11 and with my history with it. Um, and I just, I loved it. And somehow it was the first time I kind of understood that a director can take an idea and craft it into kind of their own vision. Like, obviously that's what directors do, but because I had a relationship with Spider-Man going into it, seeing Spider-Man through someone else's eyes so intimately and so fully fleshed out, Uh, it was that first time I could kind of step back and be like, oh, like that's what filmmakers do. They take things that we're all kind of passionate about in our own way and craft their own vision around it. And and somehow it just like really made sense to me watching that movie. And I also just loved it. I mean, it's, it's such a special film. So that, sorry, that was a little long winded, but that's my story of that movie. That's, that's how it works. Uh, People have 
well, not everybody, but a lot of guests have these incredibly personal connections to film that only sort of come out when they think about them. But if you've grown up with something or if it's been there your whole life, you just don't question it. And what you what you were saying about realizing that a filmmaker can format a, a story in a, in, in a very specific or personal way, especially with something like Spider-Man, like a comic book adaptation where yeah. there are hundreds of thousands of permutations of every issue is slightly different. Every writer brings his own thing, but with Raimi turning it into what he turned it into and not going dark and, and making it as, as cheerful and upbeat as the character is, despite all the horrible baggage he carries, I think like nobody saw that coming. And especially in 2002, where all we had was a fairly, a fairly serious X-Men movie. Yeah. We had like Blade Blade. and the X-Men movie, the first one. Yeah. It was, it was weird because with the first X-Men movie, you kind of saw the trajectory superhero movies were going to take for a while, like that they were more grounded, more black leather, all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. But then right at the beginning, we kind of got a taste of also where they could go, which they didn't really end up going that way. Um, but but it was just like, it, it was such, I mean, it, it almost at the time, it was very surprising. But even looking back nowadays, it's in some ways even more surprising because it's, if a Spider-Man movie came out now in that fashion, I think we would be even more blown away. Like, this is not like what we're used to. This is not how superhero movies are. Yeah. Um, I mean, they tried a specific tone. Yeah. They tried it with the, um, with the Andrew Garfield movies to make it darker and more serious and, and grief ridden and guilt ridden. And they're not, I mean, they're not bad. They're an alternate exploration, but the the thing that Raimi does is so perfectly suited to Spider-Man. There's the slightly goofy, slightly self-aware, but still hard on your sleeve emotionality yeah. of like Dark Man and the Evil Dead movies where they are genre celebrations um, that take the genre. They respect the genre, but they don't take it 100 percent seriously, which I think is, is the key to his appeal. Yeah. And. And I, you know, it's amazing to be thinking about a point in time where people were worried a Spider-Man movie might not work, where it was like we were concerned that it would be a bomb and there wouldn't be any more. When it seems like Spider-Man is, yeah, he was late to the Marvel universe because of the rights issues more than anything else. But but it's such a such a signature character for Marvel, and people just love to see him show up. Yeah. And I mean, the idea seemed, that that was in doubt, right? That was, that's bizarre. It seems obvious now kind of looking back. I mean, it was, and, and, you know, we saw the same thing kind of with Iron Man, which that was different because that was kind of a, not a B-list superhero, but it wasn't one of the big ones. It wasn't Hulk or Spider-Man. And, and mm-hmm. they kind of had that same, ex- I mean, yeah, early on in all of these superhero um, series, it, it was always that kind of moment of doubt of like, can you make this play? But yeah, looking back, of course it was going to work, but, um, but it also, like it, it worked in such a, a unique, strange way that was both, yeah, like you said, it was kind of wearing its its campiness on its sleeve, but also very sincere about the emotional side, which is very much what good comics do. Um, and and I think also at the point that I saw it in my life when I was kind of you know going from boy to adult and um, and and starting to understand filmmaking a little more, it it just hit at that perfect moment because it's it's a movie that you can both totally lose yourself into, but also from a filmmaking perspective, Sam Raimi is just so nitty gritty about all the cool effects and all the over the top stuff he does, but the understated stuff too. Like it's, it's just a blast to watch at that moment when you're first realizing that film is a thing you can love and have a personal relationship with and make. And it was, it was just really a beautiful film in that way for me. 
Yeah. He gets around the other big problem of superheroes as well, which is that Spider-Man's face is fully masked and we have nothing to connect to by just having it come off all the time. And and yeah. the, you can see the Marvel films figure it out subsequently with Iron Man's helmet popping open at the first opportunity, but you've got the goblin behind an even more frozen face and somehow casting Willem Dafoe and spending all that time with him as Norman Osborn before the transformation, it makes it work because yeah. they're just sort of the projections of the characters we've already gotten to know. And, and I know that one of the running gags of Spider-Man is that we don't need to see the origin story anymore, that they're, that it's overbeaten and we've seen every single note of it. But weirdly enough, I don't mind it here because Maguire is just so good at Peter. Like Peter is yeah. such a weirdo before he yeah. becomes Spider-Man. And it's just, it's a great choice. I, I don't know that anybody, I mean, nobody else did. All the other Spider-Man performances, all the other interpretations in the movies are just a little shy or, or a little rabbity, too much energy. But Maguire and Raimi just made this decision that no, 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 Peter Parker's is like he is a misfit because he's weird. Yeah, they were willing to go there with him. Like all the, all the, I mean, I love Andrew Garfield and I love Tom Holland as Spider Man. They're, they're a blast. But yeah, mm-hmm. they're kind of that, like that cool nerd that we all, we've all decided that nerds are okay now. And they're kind of, you know, deep down, we know they're actually pretty awesome. And like, <laughs> but like Tobey Maguire just was kind of unpleasant at times and yeah. just kind of uncomfortable to watch. Um, but that's, yeah, that's, that's who Peter Parker was supposed to be. Um, and, and they really nailed that aspect, which I think now they're kind of just afraid to do that because especially when you're building a huge franchise around these people, you don't want someone who's a little off-putting. I mean, that, that just doesn't, that's not what, where the money is, I guess. Well, well and it's not how nerds want to see themselves. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm I'm a comic book geek from the 70s. I know exactly how unpleasant we were. But um, we grew up into people who are somewhat responsible with our own moral codes. It's just it's, the new generation never had that moment of adjustment. Like there's there are 25 year olds who've never known a world without superhero movies on the scale yeah. that they've come to expect. And they don't see this Spider-Man as special. They don't understand what was so important about it is that it yeah. acknowledges the comic book basis and doesn't pretend that it's a, a hip new thing. It's kind of old and creaky. Like his wisecracks don't always land. Um, J. Jonah Jameson, which again, one of the greatest moments I've ever seen of picking exactly the right writer, yeah. the right director and the right actor and just letting it happen. Uh, my whole, I, I started a, a preview screening, uh, like a 7 p.m. Tuesday night screening up in, the, in North York in the suburbs of Toronto. And 600 people, about half of whom were not totally on board with Spider-Man when it started. The whole room exploded the second he showed up, because even if you don't know anything about Spider-Man, I think you have an image of J. Jonah. Yeah. That was him. Yeah, he was. I mean, yeah, obviously, like, I mean, they're trying to recapture that now with the new ones. I mean, he was just, I mean, all of the casting and that. I mean, I mean, Tobey Maguire was amazing. J. Jonah Jameson. And like you said, Willem Dafoe, because that is one of the things, the Green Goblin suit is always kind of the one part where it's it's a little hokey or like weird, but honestly, it's it's just a hard thing to get right. Like, what were they going to do? I mean, the Green Goblin of the comics just doesn't really work unless you go to the more recent ones where he actually does just become this demonic right. Green Goblin thing. But, um, but you know, I think they did the best they could, but it worked because Willem Dafoe just portrayed that character so well that like, no matter how goofy the kind of military green suit thing looked, he was just hamming it up and like creepy but like endearing and fatherly and <laughs> yeah it just it, it was i mean he was just incredible for that 
I think the moment I knew they had it was that little bit where he gets on the lab table and just flinches because it's cold. Yeah. You just never see that. You never see that level of humanity. And I don't doubt that it was just Defoe reacting to a prop. Yeah. But it makes it real. He was great. And and I loved it because, you know, we know with the Spider-Man eyes that they did the mirrored things. You can't see the eyes. But there are moments with the Green Goblin costume that you actually can kind of see his mouth through the mesh. And you can sort of see his eyes through the, like, yellow globy eye. Like, I mean, I'm sure they could have made it so you couldn't see those things at all. But it almost makes it weirder that through this kind of hokey mask you are actually seeing he's just a dude going insane behind there um and it just it it, it made that work like it shouldn't have worked i feel like that wouldn't work nowadays somehow but somehow willem defoe just kind of sold that yeah well and of course you also have mcguire playing the emotional despair that that is so like endemic to peter parker throughout all of these movies where the father figure can't be trusted and wants to kill not only can't be trusted but wants to kill him yeah and we see it with in the sequel with doc ock and we see it even echoing through the later marvel movies only oh, yeah. it's, it's more about him making attachments with to father figures who then die um spoiler for Endgame. but the uh, <laughs> the whole point of of peter parker is the vulnerability and the idea that becoming spider-man doesn't take that away like it doesn't make him feel any better which is the thing that mcguire gets i think that none of the other incarnations have bothered to explore he's still unhappy he's still like the the comic book peter was always struggling for money and he couldn't tell anybody his truth and no one cared when he saved their lives because they hated spider-man and he couldn't take the credit and then gradually the the this trilogy moves into him being comfortable and telling Mary Jane, who he is, and all of that stuff, and it actually works against this performance, yeah, and the, this creation. So this movie, as, as as much as people seem to acknowledge, Spider Man Two is like the ideal early superhero movie, and I love it because yeah. of Molina mostly. Um, I think this film is the perfect Spider Man movie. You know, yeah, I would I would completely agree, and it's something that you know I would say some of the later ones didn't really capture that, but also I get that they didn't exactly want to tread down that exact same path, but. Sure. But yeah, I mean, like the top, like I, I adore Tom Holland as Peter Parker, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it all just feels a little lighter. It just feels like, oh, he's going through some high school antics and things are awkward. But I remember reading the comics and like, there was a part where Peter Parker was so broke that he was eating webbing out of a bowl. Like it was just, he was <laughs> just starving and needed, and that's all he had to kind of get some sort of protein in his system. And I mean, he was, he was basically like a borderline homeless bum at times and like his in his twenties, he just couldn't, I mean, he couldn't make a living and he was trying to save the world constantly. And, you know, it sort of went beyond just awkward high school stuff and, and into just, wow, this guy just, it's hard to be alive. And on top of that, he has to be a superhero. And yeah, I think Tobey Maguire really got that. Yeah. It's um, you can tell which comic, which new comic writers or current comic writers take inspiration from this version of it rather than the, the later ones. And I've really enjoyed some of that. Uh, Chip Zdarsky's life story is this amazing little epic of each decade in Spider-Man's life. It allows him to age in real time. And so it oh, cuts really? into the 60s, 70s. Yeah, re- I haven't read this one. Came out two years ago, I think. Yeah, must have, because I bought it in a store. Chip, Chip what? Zdarsky, Z-D-A-R-S-K-Y. He's a Toronto artist turned writer. I know him a little bit. And I've just, I've been delighted to find out that not only is he a massive comics nerd, but he's a, a phenomenal writer. And That's interpreter amazing. of their work as well. So yeah, definitely. That kind of reminds me out. of the classic Alex Ross Marvel's book, which I, mm. I'm always waiting for them to see if they'll find a way to turn that into a movie. Have you read that one where it's told from the perspective of a photographer who oh, yeah, like a yeah. news photographer who 
is kind of seeing the development of the Marvel universe in real time back in like the sixties when the first human torch came about. And then sure you're, that, yeah. you're tracking with him and it's, it's kind of beautiful and weird and terrifying. Um, and yeah, I mean, I love kind of, I mean, that's, that's what's so exciting about these things is that they, they exist in our, in our timeline in some way. And we actually have, we kind of grow with them and have a relationship to them. Um, which is why I think uh, going back to Spider-Man, it was why that hit at that perfect moment in my life where I was kind of transitioning into being a grown up and um, it, you know, you, you get to kind of just grow up with these things. Yeah. And since we only have a tiny sliver of time to talk, I have to immediately shove this into how does it, <laughs> if at all, how does Spider-Man impact your own work and your creative development? So, I mean, is there anything in pig that draws on it? There's, I mean, certainly it's a hero's journey of sorts, but yeah. not quite the same. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's a, a little more abstract what it, what it draws from it. I, I think there's that core thing of, Spider-Man was that first moment where I understood that a director's job kind of was to translate a particular idea that could be done in many different ways into how, how like, you know, filtering it through their own mind. And, and very much Pig is that it's kind of filtering kind of a noir revenge thriller type film, but then through something totally different that ends up kind of exploring something that's more personally meaningful to me. Obviously, I think there's the father connection between it, because I think losing my dad was very related to Spider-Man, both for, you know, Uncle Ben's stuff, but also just, it was something we shared. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Pig ended up being very much an exploration of how kind of grief shapes us down the line and how we shape our worlds around it. So I think there's kind of that tie. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of tiny things from filmmaker things to just personal, um, personal stuff. It, it, it kind of relates in my mind. I mean, plot wise beyond, yeah, sort of hero's journey stuff. It, I wouldn't necessarily say it has that many plot connections. I'm sure you could find some, but um, but yeah, I think it was more kind of a personal and just understanding what it means to be a director. Yeah. And I think that's fair that, that you know, there's something heightened and a little, there's always this edge of absurdity in Pig. And, and I think that's something that Sam Raimi's Spider-Man plays so well. I mean, it, it has this tone that at any moment could have gone off into just what is this? But it, it manages to just juggle that darkness and lightness really, really well. Um, and, and that's definitely something we tried for with Pig is, is it is kind of ridiculous, but then also very heartfelt. And that can easily just be, this is too try hard. This is really corny. So just trying to find that like an authenticity there. So people wouldn't, you know, wouldn't could go along for the ride um, was really important. And, you know, I think Spider-Man was a movie that taught me that it's possible. You can do something ridiculous, but ground it and do it just right so that you're there for it. Yeah. Well, I guess the, the key to the Raimi film uh, and, and really all of his movies is that they're comic booky, but the characters don't know that they don't know they're in an absurdist reality where people are drawing and writing them. They are feeling and breathing and living and fighting and pig kind of plays the same way. If you step out of it, it would fall apart, but inside that world, it's perfectly sealed. Yeah. Everyone's taking it very seriously. We, we ground it in, in enough ways that, that then hopefully we can kind of go off and do strange things. But yeah, at any given moment and Rob and Nick's portrayal of Rob, really help with that. I mean, that's really the backbone of he's, this is totally serious for him. Um, and he's kind of that perfect character that you totally, I mean, I'm not saying he's a perfect character, but I just mean he, he, he serves that, that purpose perfectly in, in that he's, he takes his reality seriously, but he himself is both a combination of totally ridiculous, but also extremely heartfelt and, and serious. And he's really dealing with something that we can all relate to. Um, so he just kind of, as the spine of the film, he manages to just unite those things really well. 
My thanks to Michael Cernoski, whose new film Pig is playing in theaters across North America and opening in Toronto this Friday, July 23rd. Thanks also to Kate Parks. She knows what she did. Michael's not on Twitter, but you can follow Neon Rated and Elevation underscore Picks for details on Pig's release, and you can find Spider-Man on 4K, Blu-ray, and DVD from Sony Pictures Home Entertainment. It's also available on Apple TV and Google Play, and streaming on Netflix in Canada, and Stars, DirecTV, and Spectrum On Demand in the U.S. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com, where I'm hosting a bunch of podcasts these days and writing the weekly Now Streaming newsletter, to which you can subscribe at NowToronto.substack.com. And you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it, or the show in general, please say so. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there. Stay home, watch movies, wear a mask if you go out, get your shot when you can. I'll see you next time for our 350th episode. How about that? <laughs>